All right. I hope y'all are enjoying your summer. I know we are. And um, having Wednesday nights free, um, gracious, it's been a, I don't know if we need to do this again. I'm, I'm, I'm worn out just having Wednesday nights off. And a uh, week ago, we were in Colorado, Colorado Springs, to be with our daughter, her husband, and um, our two grands, and had a great time. And then this past week, we had the privilege of joining a family who invited us to go to Rosemary Beach. And um, I'm a jogger, and running in Colorado, and then in Rosemary Beach when it was hot as hell down there. Um, And now this week, I leave tomorrow morning early and go to Virginia. And um, I honestly, would you do me a favor and put this, put a note wherever you need notes. Um, I'm preaching in the youth camp, the State Church of God Youth Camp for High Schoolers in Roanoke, Virginia, um, Monday through Friday. I'll preach seven times this coming week. And um, there's a group, uh, the young adults going with us. Brian Porzio will be with me as well. God takes some young bucks to make me look not so old, you know. But um, it's where I was called into ministry. It's where I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'll, I'll be in the building where I was baptized in the Holy Spirit at, at 11 years old, 1976. Isn't that amazing? The bicentennial years when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Just incredible. Fireworks were going off all over the place. And it was the week of July 4th. How about that? I know that matters nothing to you, but I'm just asking you, um, pray for me. It, it's, an, it's, a, it's the third time I've gone back, but it's been like 20 years since I've been back to speak in that camp. So appreciate your prayers. All right. I want to talk to you this morning about being caught in the act. Um, Preacher, uh, actually, Dr. Charles W. Kahn, years ago, there was a book of maxims. And it was in my dad's office, who was a pastor, and I read some of those. And they leapt off the page even when I was a kid. And one of them, I'll never forget, he said, The devil doesn't care if you fall backwards or fall forwards as long as you fall. And he went on to elaborate, and he said, whether you fall into immorality or sin or forward into pride, self-righteousness or religion, he doesn't care whether you fall this way or that way. And in fact, most of you, like me, have learned falling forward into self-righteousness, spiritual pride, or religion actually does more damage than just falling backwards into immorality. Because when you fall forward into spiritual pride, you know, there, there's, a, there's a measure of hypocrisy. And we'll talk about that a little bit. I think that's what's really, that's the spiritual cancer that's been released upon the next generation. They've seen a lot of hypocrisy. People saying they believe this, but not living according to what they believe. And so, as we talk about being caught in the act this morning, um, I, I, this is not the text, but I'm just laying, this is going to feel probably more like a teaching and then like a family get-together, because we're going to talk about some of the changes that we see on the horizon. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus made a very interesting statement. I don't have time to break down the whole chapter. In verse 15, he says, be careful. Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Jesus, you know the old adage, a bad apple spoils a whole 
bushel. Um, one bad apple, the whole bushel doesn't get, help it to get recovered. That one causes the others to rot. And Jesus, again, it's an interesting passage, but I'm just pulling this out. He said, watch out for the way the Pharisees, hyper-religious, how they can impact you, and beware of how Herod impacts you, or how he could, or being caught up in relationship with him. What does that mean? I think it's really important for us in this hour, because Jesus was basically talking about two spirits or two influences. One is, be careful about how the spirit of religion can contaminate you or affect you negatively, and be careful about how a political spirit can affect you negatively. I'll talk just a second. I want to talk about just the political spirit because we're not going to deal in that much, but we're going to deal in talking about the religious spirit. Um, Herod, who is that? Why, why would Jesus say that? Well, Herod was a builder, Herod the Great. He could, he could amass a crowd of people, manipulate them and catch his vision to build something that would pump him up serve to build his ego. He was a multifaceted personality. He loved to build. He was a politician that showed himself as being religious. Remember when he said, oh, the, the Messiah, the king of the Jews is being born. And, and he, he brought in some religious scholars and said, tell me about this. I want, where can we go and worship? I want to go worship him too. Remember, he, it was, he didn't want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. It was a threat. And people who are motivated politically by the spirit of politics. And you know we're not saying that we're not involved in politics. I think everybody knows the last couple of years. We are engaged. We're in the game. And we support Christians being biblically responsible in politics. Amen? But there is a spirit. And you see it on most politicians. And that was what, Herod was political, but he knew how to work the religious crowd. He had no real alliance or loyalty to anybody or anything. His alliance would be with anything or anyone, anywhere, that would benefit him. Sociologists and psychologists refer to this as a Machiavellian intelligence. And it is a social intelligence where two things have to be in operation. First, a person has to have no moral compass, and they operate and are comfortable with no conviction or guilt. They're comfortable operating in manipulation. The second thing that has to be present for Machiavellian intelligence is you have to be able to form alliances to forward a hidden agenda. You get people to think we're doing it for this reason, but it's really too late when it's revealed what the real reason is. And it's a personality trait that is cunning, manipulative. It's a drive to use whatever means necessary to gain political power. And Jesus says, be careful about working under that spirit. In fact, the Machiavellian intelligence, it's one of the triads that creates sociopaths, narcissists, 
Machiavellian people who manipulate and use people, that, that's, that's what makes a psychopath a psychopath. Now, how many of you thank God we're delivered from a spirit of politics, although we understand that we are to work for the welfare of the city, that we work and are engaged as salt and light. And it's a fine line. But we don't sell in to manipulating people to get earthly power. Because we want a power that's greater than any power on the earth. Y'all out there? Everybody tracking with me? All right, now, so that's the first thing Jesus said. The second thing, he, he, or the, actually the first one he mentions was, um, be, be careful about a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Be careful about how you relate with the Pharisees because they had, they were definitely religious. Now, most people, when I say, not most people, but a lot of people go, what's wrong with religion? I thought we, we should be religious. Well, religion or re being religious is, that's the whole, that's all religions, you know. And um, when, when people use that term. And, and, but we don't want to be religious. Religious is when, what religion means is it's man's effort to please God. It's man's effort to meet his righteous requirements in man's own strength without being in relationship with him. It's performance-based. It's give me the list of things to do. I don't have time to be in intimate relationship with a God. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. And that's a dangerous, very dangerous place. We like to earn, though. We like to earn what we get. We don't want anybody to give us anything. A lot of us, our pride won't let us do that. And it's easier to work for you know, religious stuff or spiritual points than it is to be in an intimate relationship. And it's, it's more technical and it's controllable. And man's pride says, I, I can do this. And God will accept me and be impressed with me and like me. And I mean, I can do the church stuff. And then we fall into an empty, vain form of powerless spirituality. And this is very, very common. And it makes one feel good, feel prideful about their, their spiritual game. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm a spiritual boss. I've got it. And Jesus says, no, no, no. And why, why do I bring this up today? I just It was Monday morning early, not knowing what I was going to speak on. We're in these summer months. I'm not in a series right now. But the Holy Spirit just is so real. And everybody, I want you to just catch where I am, where your pastor is. You know, we're in the summer months, and traditionally, pastors just kind of go in vacation mode for about six or eight weeks of June, July, and you preach happy, fun stuff. But the last two years, two plus years, I haven't been able to do that at, at all. And where we are right now, what the growth that's happening in our church, um, and all the accoutrements, all the things that come along with that. It can be a trap if, you, if you're not a person of prayer. And we could fall into a, a restoration form, a, a restoration religion. And I, I, I want to warn us all, let's not do that. Let's keep it simple. 
Let's keep it childlike. Let's keep it real. Let's keep it spiritual and not religious. Y'all out there. Come on, somebody. And so the Lord took me Monday morning this past week to the story of the woman. When I say caught in the act, if you know anything about New Testament theology, you quickly, that scene in John chapter 8 where the woman was caught in the act of adultery. And those religious men brought her before, threw her before Jesus while it was teaching in the temple before a crowd. Let's read it in the NIV, John 8. It actually, the whole passage, it starts in John, the last verse of John 7. But it just simply says, and everybody went home, but, verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, verse 2, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us, as you know, Jesus, to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said, Let any one of you who is without sin, you go ahead, you throw the first stone. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Can you just put yourself there? No one, sir, she said. And then these words had to just take her so off guard. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, don't you like it? It doesn't say Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. He declared, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. How many of you ever read this story? How many of you love this story? You know, and if you're reading from your own Bible, you probably have a note there that says, in the earlier manuscripts, it wasn't included in the Bible. But in the councils where they ratified what will actually go into the Bible, I'm so thankful that John got this one worked in. Because, and you can imagine John going, no, bro, this one needs to be added. Because, and you know, John's gospel, he tells all the great stories, the woman at the well, and he tells this one. And so here's the deal, brothers and sisters. Um, he's teaching in the temple. Everywhere Jesus goes now, there's a crowd coming. So people know who he is. She probably knew who they were throwing her in front of. And there's a crowd in church, a bunch of churchy people. And here come the churchiest of all churchy people. Walking up in their flowing gowns. Oh, Rabbi, Father. And they throw her. And they say, Jesus... And it was all a trick. 
And that's, this is what religious people do. There's a law, there's a system. If you're going to be with them in their church, you got you to keep the rules. And they, they were trying to trick Jesus. And they were wanting to do away with Jesus. She was a pawn. They were using her. They didn't like that this new wine, this, this new, the Messiah was taking away their power, their clout, and their titles were becoming more and more meaningless. And they throw her, make her stand there in front of Jesus. And they say, she's been, she was caught in the act. And you got to wonder, what kind of perverted religious men catch a woman in an act of adultery? And if you know the law, you go, was she having adultery all by herself? How do you do that? Because, sir, rabbi, if you really know the law, the man is supposed to be here too. Perhaps one of the men was one of the Pharisees. Perhaps that man was there. Perhaps it was a setup. Perhaps they, you know, it was a Tinder account. It was a Craigslist ad. And they were, they're needing a pawn to stop this manic guy who says he's the son of God. It's going to change our religious landscape. And they caught her in the act and bring her before Jesus. And they're wanting to trick Jesus. If you say, yeah, you're right, we should condemn her, then you're guilty of violating your own message of love. And if you say, no, we're not going to condemn her, then you're guilty of violating Hebrew law, the Old Testament, the Jewish religious system. Don't you love Jesus? He doesn't say anything. He bends down in the dirt of that dirt floor inside the temple, and he starts writing something. And for Pete's sake, the only thing God on planet Earth ever wrote, and we don't know what it was. <laughs> Seriously. Like, John, come on. But we, I, perhaps it's there for us to go, what did he write? Based on what he said before he started writing and then after, what did he write? I remember one of the Christian comedians when I was a kid said he probably started going through her Rolodex and listing the name of the men who were her customers. And then when John saw his neighbor Abraham, John thought, uh-oh, bro, I'm gone. I'll see y'all. Maybe Jesus was writing their sin. But whatever it was, they continued to persist and aggravate him. They were like, so what are you going to do? I mean, we don't have time for you to write. A we're not interested in your writings. Jesus straightened up, looked at them, and started writing again. And then it's funny how it says, from the oldest to the youngest. How I many of you, you get older, you get wiser, men? When you got to trim your hair out of your ears you have more wisdom can I get a witness young man it, your day is coming when the barber goes would you like for me to cut your ear hair too but you're old and wise you go will it be an extra charge they say no you're like yeah go ahead and get it 
Go ahead and get the nose to it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and they begin to leave. And, and that scene, the crowd that was gathering around to hear Jesus teach, man, were they getting a lesson. And he wasn't even teaching. He was just modeling who he is. Everybody's gone, and he looks and says, where are they? Where are your accusers? Can you, you, this one was caught in the act of adultery. And you go, really, Jesus? You just caught them in the act. I, I want to ask you today, what if right now you were to give an account for what you've done the last 24 hours, the last week, from a spiritual standpoint? What if this morning you were being charged for being caught in the act? This morning, the last hour on the way to church, what would, what would your act say about who you are? You know, because we all, we're actors. We wear masks. We hide behind who we really, we, what we want people to think we are and who we want them to think we are. What we want them to think we're like and who we really are. And church people are the absolute worst. Not in this church, and I'm not just patronizing you. I'm speaking this not to chastise you, but to encourage you. And may we never lose this. Every week, two or three at least new families say, from the moment we pulled on the parking lot, from the moment we walked in the door, some of you here say, I remember before we got into the sanctuary, we looked at each other and said, this is it. And I thank God for that because it's an authentic, real, childlike place to serve the Lord. And how many of you know we should treasure it because it's rare? I'm going to jump ahead. Um, there's a, a well-known guy in worship that's part of our church family now. He's new in the last 12 months, he and his family. And he ran into another guy who is a well-known video, I don't know what, they, his company tells video stories. And they both used to work for one of the, a big church, and they were together. And the worship guy says to the video guy about restoration, says, are you going to get involved and help them, help restoration? And he goes, you know, I kind of don't want to. I don't want to put any polish on what's happening here. You may go, man, we need some polish, Pastor Chuck. <laughs> And we, 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 you know, we're not glorifying sloppy. But God, help us to never get slick or professional or have the right look. I know we're getting a new parking lot. The old parking lot was fine. It just needed more spaces. And that's why we're doing it. And I'm thankful for all the stuff. But may we never become a church that gets caught in the act of we have arrived. We are respectable. I go to Chuck's church. May it never be that. May it never be, oh, that guy can't preach. He doesn't even say, are you picking up what I'm putting down? You know, may we never be, no, they, 
May, are y'all picking up what I'm putting down right now? May, may we be like a bunch of little children who were caught in the act one day and we never forgot it even though God did. He didn't condemn us and he said, go, leave that old life. How many of you are glad you've left that old life? And you, come on somebody, praise the Lord. So, we need to beware of the yeast or the leaven of the Pharisees because religious, the religious spirit is toxic. Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Look what he says. You hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces you yourselves do not enter nor will you let those enter who are trying to Jesus he hates the religious spirit he hates spiritual pride religion kills that's why he hates it people who know about God but don't know him are toxic Jesus was very loving toward everybody except the religious people of his day. And he said some hard stuff to the church people of the day. Why? Because that's not what the kingdom of God is about. And it's so, such a fine line. I'm not even sure everybody in this room is picking up what I'm saying right now. It's so easy to get a form or a style and not have the substance to get a, 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 a routine down and trust the sound and the, the band keys and songs and go through the motions. And Jesus, no, 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 no. Don't be caught in the religious act. Now, there's four things, and I'm going to mention them quickly, but you may want to write these down. Religion kills because it's hypocritical. It's not sincere. Everybody say that. It's hypocritical, not sincere. In Matthew 23, I just read one verse where in that chapter alone, six times Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Six times. A hypocrite is a person who acts in contradiction to his or her stated beliefs. A person who puts on a face, a, a false appearance of virtue or religion. And this is a huge problem. Hear me, everybody. Hear me. It's a huge problem for the church today. We've never had better buildings, greater programming, greater production. What they do at the Fox what they do downtown, what Journey does and Beyonce does at the Super Bowl, it's not a lot better than what can be done in the church. The only difference is the church people, you normally keep their clothes on, a little more clothed than Beyonce. And sometimes it's close. But... Hypocrisy is a great problem for us in reaching our children. These men brought the women, this woman before Jesus who was caught, but somehow they forgot to bring the man. Even the law, 
even though the law said that both were to be disciplined. May God deliver us from being hypocrites. May we always be open, honest, and real about our shortcomings. Because in our weakness and authenticity and integrity about being real, that's where he is strong in our lives. Are y'all out there? How many of you are thankful? We just declare in this church, we will never be perfect, but we will not be hypocrites. Are y'all out there? Come on, in Jesus' name. Second thing that the reason we hate um, religion, religion kills, it's toxic because it's prideful. And the Bible hates pride. God hates, even God opposes the proud. Hear me somebody, I know these are very well-worn verses and we all know them. But say this with me, prideful, not humble. Prideful, not humble or childlike. Prideful in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm sorry, in chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. I know you've, you know this verse, but not everybody does, so let this sink in. Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Have listen, this is what Satan did to Eve. He said, Oh, you eat the tree of knowledge, you'll be like God, knowing good from evil and that's how deep a lot of people's religion is they know what's right and they know what's wrong but having knowledge without a relationship of the knower who gives that knowledge knowledge only kills Adam and Eve it's where the whole sin pattern got started spiritual pride you can be like God. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 5 through 7, everything they do, speaking of the Pharisees, is for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and, their, and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. So later in this passage, Jesus says, Call no man father. And yet we have a whole religion where that's the title that we call people and we refer to them. It wasn't saying you don't have fathers. You need spiritual fathers. But there's only one that you pray to as Father God, our Father who is in heaven. Don't get, let, what, what's he saying? Are y'all picking up? What's he saying? Don't put any spiritual leader in the same court category and use the same title when you refer to them as the title you in the place where you have God. And, and yet we, we do that because we're a hero culture and men like power and crowds are toxic or intoxicating, I should say. They're toxic too if you, if you let them be that. And so in the name of Jesus, oh, I know this is simple stuff. This might not be for you, but this is for me this morning. God, we just, we, we come humbly before you, Lord. We choose childlikeness. We choose humility and not pride, especially not religious pride, Lord. For none of us is worthy without you. But we just thank you, Lord, that we are saved by grace. 
We are saints. We're no longer sinners. We are saints, but we used to be sinners saved by grace. You put your spirit in us, your nature in us, and we just love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Look here. May the, may the, the more mature you become in your walk, may you become even more and more and more childlike. Y'all out there. Y'all like Pastor Chuck. I could have gotten this in the children's ministry this morning. Perhaps you need to go out there next week. Cindy would love for me to send 50 adults out there to help volunteer. Pride's a monster, and it'll sneak up on you. You'll be so impressed with yourself. And you've had moral failure before you realize, I got too big for my britches. We're delivered from it. In Jesus' name, we choose to be a bunch of grown-up children in here. Why did Jesus say become childlike? Because children, they're resilient. They bounce back. They cry like they're about to die, and 30 seconds later, there's a sucker in front of them, and it's okay, Mommy. Children trust their dad. They don't go, I don't know how we're going to get there on vacation. Children that are six years old, they don't realize gas is $6 a gallon. They don't care. Somehow my daddy can beat your daddy up. My daddy's going to get us there. Not only that, but we're going to eat good while we're there. I'm not worried about, may we become children like that. Children are easily infatuated, impressed. They go, wow, a lot. And when we gather in here, this is what worship is. Don't ever get sophisticated in your worship, people. May we become wildly childlike, going, oh, God, wow, wow, Dad, wow. That's what worship is in Jesus' name. Now, we become childlike, but not spiritually immature. Can I get a witness? Turn and tell somebody. He's talking to you now. He was talking to me a minute ago. Number three, pretentious. Religion is pretentious. Likes to pretend in ways that leave positive impressions. Pretentious, not authentic. Say that with me. Pretentious, not authentic. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, and Luke chapter 20, verse 47. Jesus said in both those places, they like to pray long prayers. This is why he called them, you are blind guides, the blind leading the blind. So impressed with yourselves and living to do your best to impress, to other, impress others. You know, I talk about this regularly in today's world. When I was growing up, a man of God was a humble man. He was a hardworking man. Um, he didn't have the nicest of everything because he lived on a meager, humble salary. And I'm not promoting poverty especially now. I mean, Candace and I, don't, you know, thank God we're blessed, but we don't live in some crazy lifestyle. But this celebrity mentality, one of my boys is uh, about to graduate Stone. It was just last year. He goes, Dad, what, what do you think about this, this celebrity atmosphere around pastors and pastors with sneakers and Instagram you know, feeds and 
pages that glorify pastors' $1,200 sneakers. I got these at Becky's Footwear, which is a, a recycled footwear place in Cleveland, Tennessee. I do have a shoe problem, but it's not that kind of problem. I like good shoes. But the, these are recycled. Uh, like somebody owned them before me. And, and we have nice things, and, but the celebrity mentality. We were with um, a couple families this week. We were down at the beach, and we were talking about And I said something about, you know, you can keep me accountable. And listen, if you ever feel free, and, and he goes, he said to the other man, he goes, did you hear what he just said? He just gave us the license. To, and I said, I'm not kidding. If you ever hear that kind of nonsense out of me, Somebody come knock me off my high horse. You go, Pastor Chuck, you realize what you're saying this morning? Yes, I do. Because we're going somewhere great in the kingdom. And the more we lift him up and the lower we get, the greater the glory that we will all experience in this place. Amen? Fourthly, no, wait, thirdly, I need to go back. I'm not finished. Jesus talked about, I just, I want to... The Lord's massaging this into a lot of us, right here. Um, pretentious. My goodness, in North Atlanta, we live in one of the most pretentious areas there is, especially in Georgia. God, deliver us from it. Help us to be authentic. Because in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was, con he was confronting that religious pretentiousness. And he, he talked about, he said, when you fast, don't walk around looking somber and hungry and self-righteous as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces and walk around wanting people to go, what? what's wrong with you? I'm hungry. Why are you hungry? I'm fasting. Glory, God. Glory to God. Don't, don't do that. And Jesus said, because if you do, them going, wow, I'm impressed that you would fast. That's your reward. Impressing people. That's your reward. There will be no heavenly reward. Verse 17 says, But when you fast, put oil on your head. Wash your face. Brush your teeth. So that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And then, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I believe when you really fast, you don't have to tell anybody you're fasting but they will know it. Something is on her life or his life because God is faithful. You don't have to walk around pretending. Just walk around being humble, authentic, and sincere and watch God be God in your life. Are you all out there this morning? Fourthly and lastly, Jesus was against religion because it, it's toxic because it's powerless. There's no power. Say this with me, powerless, not powerful. Powerless, not powerful. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. You know this passage. It's Paul talking about the last days. Please hear me, because we're in those days. He says this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be, and then he gives, gives a list, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, without love, unforgiving, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And here's what he says. Listen to this. Holy Spirit, speak. Let this resonate in our hearts, oh God. 
and mark us, Lord, according to this. Paul says, in the last days, the last thing he mentioned was, they will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power. And then Paul says, stay away from people like Have nothing to do with these kinds of people. That's the leaven. That's the bad apple that will kill the whole bushel. Now, what does that mean? The New Living Translation says it like this. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Now, look here. You may have heard that form of godliness, but deny the power. That is not people that they do godly things. They go to church, and they say, God doesn't have any power. That's not what he's saying. He's saying they have a form. They do godly things. But their story says they're just doing the right things, but God has no real power. And that is where we are in the contemporary church. We got all the, we got all the stuff, as I've mentioned, ad nauseum before. But no power. I love what the New Living Translation says. They will reject the power that make, could make them godly. And then it says, stay away from people like that. You know, I'm going to just call us out or call us up. Crowds is not what it's all about. Budgets and new buildings is not what it's all about. Transformed lives is what it's all about. Prodigal sons coming home, that's what it's all about. People being healed and delivered, healed from cancer, healed from Lou Gehrig's, healed from asthma, healed from migraine headaches. Not just a form of godliness, but a, we lay our hands on people, we do James chapter 5, anoint the sick with oil, the elders pray the prayer of faith, and the sick person is made whole. How many of you want, I'd rather have that than the form of godliness. Before you clap, hold on, listen. God help us. Our children are watching. The world is watching and going, y'all have the same everything that we have. You're very much like us. And you waste your time every Sunday for a couple of hours going to a place where you're going through the routines, but you're not marked. You know, it's, it's right here that I want to tie a couple things, and I don't have a lot of time, but you met, Paul is the same one who said, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What, the letter kills, the word knowledge without relationship is legalism, and don't raise your children, you better, you better. The, the letter of the law, that kills, but the Spirit of the law gives life. It's beautiful how the word illustrates it. In Exodus chapter 32, when Moses goes up and he gets the Ten Commandments, he comes down and they've taken off their jewelry and Aaron built them a false god and they're worshiping it and singing to it. And Moses is infuriated. And you know what happens? The day the law was given, 3,000 people die. Isn't it interesting that a couple thousand years later, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit is poured out, 
3,000 people get born again. The law comes with no spirit, 3,000 die. The spirit comes to fulfill the law and 3,000 people come to life. A form of godliness is what kills people. And so what, what, what gives it its power? Y'all know where I'm going. You're in a spirit-filled church. Everybody, everybody y'all already head on me? You know where I'm going? Y'all want me to preach it or want us to close? You're kind of torn, really, aren't you? When, when we gather, there's somebody in the room that we don't see. But if he's not here, we're all in trouble and we are wasting our time. A form of godliness with no power. God give us a, 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 tran oh, a transformative, anointed atmosphere where our children get delivered, del delivered from pornography. Get a shield of God's protection filled with his spirit that, yes, heroin, fentanyl, all that stuff coming across, all that stuff that's killing the young generation by the hundreds of thousands, yes, hundreds of thousands, and it's getting worse. But may our children be marked because when they came to church on Sundays, they weren't in a place where there was a form of godliness, happy, pretty, handsome, conservative people out in the suburbs singing nice music, going, God bless you, going home in our happy houses, voting conservative. No! Let the kingdom of God, let the fire of God's spirit fall in this place. That it doesn't come and kill, it comes and it gives life. Let that happen in this place. Oh God, let it happen, let it happen, let it happen in the name of Jesus. Praise your name, Jesus. I'm closing. Candace and I, tomorrow's Candace's birthday. And... Um, I got to close early for her birthday. Happy birthday. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I just, this is important where we are right now for a number of reasons. Um, as we're growing, we're having to make some changes. Like this time last year, we were talking about adding a service. And here we are this year going, we probably are going to have to add another service. And honestly, I don't know how we're going to do it. We don't know exactly what the times are. It'll probably be something like we did on Easter. We don't even know. We may get to August and God say, you know what? Let the first come be the first served. Open the doors, put people in the gym. We don't know what we're going to do, but we know Here's what we can't do, go, what Jesus said to the Pharisees. Y'all haven't really come all the way in, and you keep others from coming all the way in. And so we can't go, oh, oh, I like our form. I'm just telling you, I don't know what we're going to do. So pray for us. I, know I, I don't know if I can preach three times like this a day. But if God calls us to, he will equip us to. I'm just being really real with you. Second thing that's getting ready to happen is a good thing that is going to be a different thing. Um, I'm so thankful for 
Dean, Dean and Lisa, the worship team, appear. Voila. Is this a powerful church or what? Is it incredible? Just voila. This brother right here came to us the month before the world shut down and took over for this brother here who grew up in this church. And um, God has raised he and Gwen up and given them a marriage ministry that's dynamic and it was growing. And he was like, we're called to this. The Lord sent Dean and Lisa and they've served just beautifully. You may go, where is he going? Dean's not going anywhere. Lisa's not going anywhere. Their daughter Sumner, she probably is, but we don't know where yet because she's a missionary, a radical missionary. And we want her to go, amen? Just in the next 10 years, we'll be okay if God calls her out. But as the ministry has grown, the needs for a full-time executive pastor that can handle worship from A to Z, all the details, developing, onboarding new people, which there's a lot of you, um, that, that need has grown. And Dean's professional commitments don't allow him at this time to leave all of that and come to us and be with us full-time. Several months ago, we began a soft search for someone who could join this team, join this team, and be responsible for worship, work with this team and lead this team. And um, the last six or eight weeks, we've interviewed someone extensively, and we're thrilled to announce in July, Shelly Johnson will be joining our staff, she and her husband, Jack, she's highly qualified, has a heart of gold, is so skilled and gifted. Everything God's done in her life in the last 10 years has prepared her to be a part of this team in a vertical church. She was involved in our women's conference leading from the keyboards. And so she will join our staff team next month, I think July 5th, and then she will begin to participate on Sunday mornings, I think it's July 17th. And so we're, we're pleased, I, I, we're thrilled about that, but there are changes that are coming. And um, I want you all to join us in prayer that God, as we grow, he will help us stay true to what he's called us to be. We've hired very slowly. Early in my ministry, hiring was my Achilles heel. We needed help, I went and found someone. Get them. Didn't vet them, create a lot of problems. A bad hire can kill you. Can I get a witness? It's like marrying the wrong person, you know. Well, it's not quite that bad, but it's close. And um, we, for 18 months, we looked and searched for Pastor Arvo and Cheryl. Thank God for them. And this is a big step that we're taking. And I do feel, hear me, I am confident and excited that it's the right step. It's going to be good. We found the right person because God raised them up for this church. And I trust that you will welcome them and continue to love. Dean and Lisa are going nowhere. 
um, his role, his place with us on the staff. We're, we're paying him the same thing. We love this couple and this family. And we're so thankful for them. Amen. We really do. You came to us. You, God sent you all, the perfect people, at the perfect time. We're so glad that they're staying on the bus with us. Amen. Now, would you stand with me as we get ready to close? And Candace and I uh, and the family today, we're, we're going to be celebrating her birthday. And um, because I love her and I know her and I'm in relationship with her, I know how to celebrate her, you know. Not because I went on FocusOnTheFamily.com and found the page where Dr. Dobson says, husbands who love their wives do this on their wife's birthday. Some husbands do that. Not me. So we're doing what she loves. Our whole crew is going to eat at Jason's Deli. We do it up right at the Ramsey's. And we're going up to the lake, and at sunset, we're going to all be out on the boat. Because she loves when all her little chickens and their little chickadees, who they married, are with us in the same place as the sun goes down. And we're going to celebrate Candace's 28th birthday. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> May you, yeah, may you worship him, not because Pastor Chuck said in the second chorus of the call to worship, everybody does this. And then if you're really moved, you, you squeeze a tear out over here. And you look around and you go, oh, some people are bowing. May you be like the, the woman. May you be caught in the act. John's gospel doesn't tell us about Lazarus after he was raised from the dead. That's the part of the story I want to hear. He doesn't tell us about this woman. But when Jesus said, go, stop living like this. I'll bet you, because y'all know the power of his word when it re touches a receptive heart I bet you her story I'll bet she's in heaven I don't know this for sure and I don't have theology to back it up but I've, I've had personal conversations with Jesus when I was broken and it messed me up in a good kind of way may you may we bring our alabaster jars on Sundays and just empty our perfume on him may he be the most in this place may he be cherished treasured, worshipped, and adored. May we be caught in that kind of act. How many of you say, yes, sir, I'm with you, Pastor Chuck. May there be more affectionate, authentic, sincere, humble worship. So we won't have a form of godliness, but we'll have that and the power. Come on, somebody, in the name of Jesus. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, in our lives. Fill us up. Fill us up. The Spirit gives life in Jesus' name. We just thank you, Father. 
I speak life and blessings over my brothers and sisters this morning. And as we begin this teaching, may we be, be aware, be warned to stay away from that religion and that political spirit that seeks to manipulate people and things to get earthly power. And may we know the calling to be engaged in the culture as salt and light. Ambassadors, men of courage, women of great faith, praying prayers that cause the Supreme Court to overturn decisions. Thank you that we're living in that kind of day and that millions of people have prayed and you are a God who answers prayer. And we thank you for it, Father. We thank you for the release. I sense the spirit of prophecy. We thank you for the spirit of life that is being released in our nation right now despite everything we see. We thank you, Father, for the glory cloud that is going to protect us from this pandemic and the next one, and the next one if there is. We thank you that we're called out in Jesus' name, protected. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Do you all feel what I feel right now? In the name of Jesus. When we come to church, oh God, show up. Make it meaningful, impactful, powerful, real. May Jesus get all the glory, all the credit, all the honor. May we all disappear and notice him. May we be silent. May we hear him, Lord. May I be an instrument. Every person that takes a microphone on this stage, may we simply just be conduits, instruments. We're silent. We're invisible, and you are seen and heard. And Therefore, there will be a powerful, powerful church. There's not hypocrisy. There's authenticity and transformation in the kingdom of God exploding in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. I hate when the anointing increases at 1030 in the morning. God bless you, Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance up on you and give you peace for whatever you're going through right now. Come on, say it like you mean it. I receive it in Jesus' name. Turn and tell somebody, I'm, I'm glad you're here this morning. You are blessed. Turn and encourage somebody in Jesus' name.